it's me, Katiosaurus, and welcome back to Infinite Quest. Before we begin this week, we just wanted to say thank you. Last week was a really tough week for us, but the outpouring of love and kindness and support that we got from this community was frankly humbling and overwhelming, and we are just so, so thankful and so, so grateful for all of you and the kindness that you showed us last week. Before we begin, I did want to just let you know that as you listen to this week's episode, I think you will realize why we needed to take a break, um, because this episode is the one that broke us. Um, This episode is extremely raw, it is extremely emotional, it is extremely vulnerable, Um, but like I said last week, one of the things that we set out to do from the very beginning here at Infinite Quest was talk openly and honestly about our struggles and the things that we have experienced because of our neurodivergency. Um, And so this week's episode is pretty damn honest in terms of some of those experiences. And we are so honored and so grateful to be part of a community that not only uplifts us in having these conversations, but understands why these conversations need to be had at all. So without further ado, here's the music episode of Infinite Quest. everybody welcome back to infinite quest we definitely haven't tried to start this podcast five separate times and messed up every single time (laughs) for various number of reasons this is definitely the first time that we've tried this podcast opener today and it's going really well so far i think so welcome back to infinite quest i think i said that already it's fine perfect no it was great katie thank you crushing it i'd like to welcome my special guest this week uh uh eric welcome to the show what do you mean, Eric, as opposed to Hey Good? Is that what you're saying? Or are you just pretending that this is your I show now, pretend- Katie? I was pretending that you were my special guest. Well, you know what? Yes, and, Eric. Yes, and. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Is this my water? Can I have this water? Oh, thank you. This, they always do that when they walk on talk shows. They're always like, is this is this my? And they go, oh, 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 oh. And it's always like that branded mug. We should get cool branded mugs to we hold while get, we record podcasts. We should get podcasts. Quest mugs so we can like, sit whenever you inevitably wind up on daytime television (laughs) (laughs) um but today we're going to be talking about um adhd and performance um it started as sort of we were going to do adhd and music but then we realized that we have a more diverse history of performances than just music and adhd was very much involved in our relationship with all of them um and we've been sort of i guess i don't want to say putting off but i've been i've been i've been apprehensive anxious excited worried looking forward to this one because I, I, so much of who i am now has to do with my history with music performance and so much of my relationship to music performance has to do with my adhd all of my relationship to music performance has in some has something to do with my adhd because i have it <laughs> so that's a thing and uh so I don't really know where to start. First off, Katie, you played music too. When did you start playing music? I, 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 I did do, did, I don't know. It's that's, that's a tricky question in and of itself. Um, I, well, I started playing piano when I was five. Um, and I played some other instruments in between then and now. Uh, and I also like performed, I sang and did theater. So yeah, I've done a lot of performance in my life. 
as also magician, which I think is. Oh yeah, I mean that doesn't count. That's like, I feel like that counts. It's so silly. It's such a silly like little. It's like a little asterisk in the baseball hall of fame. Like yes, <laughs> I, I do that, but it's a also whole... magician. Also <laughs> magician, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's what it is. <laughs> and I played. I've played music since I was. Uh, I guess I would have been like nine or ten. I started cello. Then after that, I stopped playing cello and started playing piano. Then after that, I stopped playing piano and started playing guitar. And that was sort of the one that stuck. Um, and eventually, I found myself at a at a fancy-spancy boarding school um, to study uh, classical guitar performance. Um, so I was there for my junior and senior year in high school. And after that, I basically quit music entirely. I... I had that ex this experience which was nuanced and interesting and informative and and it shapes the way that I see the world um but it was also really traumatic in a lot of ways um and a lot of that was due to the fact that I wasn't I hadn't really come to terms with how my brain works and what that meant for what what my relationship to music was to become and 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 was I was trying to sort of force my relationship to music to be something that I, I, I guess was sort of, it was, I was forcing my, I, I, I felt that my relationship to music had become something that it was, that was put on it rather than what it organically would have become. Um, and that was really sort of traumatizing. And, and now looking back, being 26, almost 27, um, and knowing a lot more about ADHD than I, than I used to, Looking back, it was everywhere. Like my ADHD had its hand in everything um, concerning music, and it was really terrifying. I mean, thinking about the the, the process of practicing and and learning about or, or learning to do these really minute things when it comes to gaining fluency with an instrument. So much of that has to do with um, with regulation self-regulation and in, in a million ways regulating your time regulating your focus your energy and you know adhd is so much a disorder of regulation that i mean it, it just shattered me in a lot of ways um i know i just kind of got right into that <laughs> Didn't know there was no segue that's, i was no, just that's like a, that's okay i mean i think <laughs> i think since we're our we are at the top of the episode the thing that I kind of wanted to to delve, not delve into, but say off the top is like the reason why we wanted to talk about this episode is not necessarily because like we feel like every listener that we have has the experience of being, you know, like a top tier classical musician. Uh, but what we found, especially like when we were talking about this before we decided to do this podcast episode was that so many of the frustrations and so many of the challenges and so many of the experiences that we had in those sort of fields and in those sorts of circumstances are shared 
by a lot of people in a lot of different circumstances, especially students. And so, like, oh, this yeah, isn't definitely. necessarily, like, part of our school series, but I feel like it is very tangentially related, especially in terms of the experience of being, like, a gifted kid or being, uh, you know, not supported in your neurodiversity in school and and the feelings of imposter syndrome and burnout and rejection of dysphoria and self-regulation and emotional dysregulation and executive dysfunction, like... All of those things are so profoundly tied all like all of that, that huge list that I just said is so tied into my experience and my understanding of of performance and and top. I say top level and it sounds so indulgent, but like I'm very good at Shakespeare, like, you know, so it's like, I don't know. I always feel really weird being like I'm I'm this like expert, but I, like I have two pieces of paper that say that I am. So I don't I don't, I don't really know how to like approach it, you know, like. Well, I think I mean, I think it's I think it's accurate, you know, to, to say anything other than that you are a top level Shakespeare, not just performer, but your understanding of Shakespeare is is at an A level, like is A tier stuff. It just yeah. is. I think it's the only accurate way of describing it. Sometimes I wonder about musicians like Joshua Bell. Like, at, at what point did Joshua Bell just go, yeah, I'm world class? Like, what? Like when did that happen? Like, when well, When was that? That's We well, need Joshua Bell on for Fangirl Friday. So oh, we my can gosh. Sheepers, creepers. Well, I think what's what's strange is, is as if you once you're when you're rising, the rising in the ranks, you know, you're constantly you well, constantly te text your good friend david belkowski and ask him like, i don't know if <laughs> like seriously like seriously he would be a good david person belkowski to have on, though. is a fucking world-class classical musician pianist like like top tier he, he was also one point, of my best friends yeah in, at, at any point school, like yeah. i would be i would honestly really like to talk to david belkowski just to ask him that question like not like we can have him on for fangirl friday but i just want to know like at what point do you as a classical musician go, oh, I guess I am arguably very good? Like, yeah, I want to Oh, my gosh. Know. We should do that this week. We should. Um, in fact, I'm setting it in stone right now. I don't care what he's doing. I'll, I'll, I'll bother him. Okay. Text um, your best friend, David Volkowski. <laughs> I have a lot of, lot of stories. I, did, I didn't know that he was so, like, successful. I mean, he deserves it. He's been working his ass off for so long. Um, but anyways, um, I, I think what you, what you were saying about uh, – how this is also it's it's very much related to like the the schooling the topic of schooling, yeah absolutely I think music and studying music and playing music, it's in a way it's sort of a, a, a it, it's in itself is an exercise in the regulatory behaviors that are necessary in any schooling environment. It requires um, setting aside time. And sitting and being like, this is what I'm doing during this period of time. It requires uh, delayed gratification, something that ADHD people don't always do super well with. Um, it, it requires, I don't know, it, it requires, frankly, well, focus, frankly. It requires the ability to regulate focus. And playing music, particularly in a, in a, in a schooling environment, in like a structured schooling environment, is, is, is so much so in a way sort of like an exposure therapy kind of thing real i mean really like my when i started playing music at like a more disciplined level on a more classical way in like in a more classically trained type dealio um it exposed so much of the stuff that i now know is is adhd related like 
it, it in a very distilled and obvious and frankly painful way that I, I may have overlooked otherwise. So although, you know, being a neurodivergent person, being a, an ADHD person who was routinely tasked with, uh, you know, having to sit in a quiet room for three plus hours a day, I mean, minimum three, um, <laughs> three hours a day doing things that are boring for some payoff, some promised payoff later on. I mean, those are things like those are uniquely difficult. If you could, those are like tailored difficult for ADHD people. And I'm in a way I'm, I'm sort of grateful for that now. I mean, I, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of, you know, ga I, I guess ground to gain back. I think my, my happiness and my, my health with my relationship, the health of my relationship to music suffered greatly and I'm still recovering from that. But it forced me to develop understandings of things and methods for dealing with things that I don't think I would have had I not been in that specific environment of just sitting across from music and staring it in the face all day. Can I ask you a really tough question? And you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. Yeah, sure. So then why did you quit? Wow. Well, I think, I mean, it's, I think it's important to, 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 I guess, clarify that all of that stuff that I just said about how I'm grateful for it and it forced me to develop systems for, for dealing with uniquely ADHD difficult situations, all of those developed in how I decided to re handle it after the fact. Mm -hmm. After years of, you know, after graduating and, and, you know, after years of just basically mourning my relationship to music, um, I, I decided that, like, that's not going to be what happens. That, that I can't I, I can't have that to, to, to have have had music be such a massively wonderful part of my life and to have it, like, taken away from me because of what, whatever. <laughs> it's a long story, but because of a lot of stuff. Um. I decided that that can't just be where it ends. That had, to, if, if anything else, it had to be useful. It just had to be useful. I wouldn't be able to sleep if it wasn't useful. I had to make use of it somehow. And so I did like a, an autopsy, basically. I had to figure out specifically why. Specifically, why did those moments hurt so bad? Specifically, why am I so mad at myself all the time when I think about it? Why? And I still, I, I mean, I'm still unpacking it. But I didn't, I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't thinking like, oh, I have executive dysfunction and these are uniquely difficult to me because they require high level, like, you know, a honing of one's executive functions. And, and this is going to be useful down the road. And that was, that wasn't the case at all. I was, you know, a 16 year old kid going through all the regular high school stuff, you know, learning that, you know, well, <laughs> learning a lot of things about like, you know, I guess uh, my relationship to my own sexuality and like social standing and stuff like all that regular high school stuff matched with the fact that I'm expected to, I guess, perform at a very high level in regular intervals. <laughs> um, so at the time I wasn't thinking about the fact that all of this pain is useful and good and therefore I'll continue to experience it. At the time I was just trying to, to keep my head above water, I guess. But only looking back, do I recognize its usefulness. And so I quit. 
But I guess your question was, so why did I quit? I quit. So, all right. So I guess I'll brief, brief, brief little story. Real, real quick version. I started playing guitar when I was 12 because my friend was starting a band. We never ended up starting a band. Doesn't matter. I kept playing guitar. I got really into metal. I was in a metal band. I was in like a comedy duo. Well, we didn't do just Tommy. We, did, we were like a Simon and Garfunkel kind of thing. Played Battle of the Bands. I was the guitar guy at the party one too many times. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was a guitarist. I was what you thought of as like a high school guitarist. And I liked playing music. And I liked sitting there at my computer or wherever, strumming, twingy, twingy, twangling around. But at some point, I got really bored, and I needed to, for one reason or another, I felt the need to press the sort of abort mission, like, on my, that current version of my life. Like, I needed what I call, like, a jump, where I, like, everything changes. I, everybody I know, I now don't know. And I meet an entirely new batch of people in an entirely new place. Um, and my, I realized my music could be a vehicle for that. And so I started looking into um, art schools, like art sporting schools. And I'm privileged enough to be in a position to where if I got accepted to an art school and made the case for going, like my parents could swing it. They could make it happen. Yeah. Um, I wasn't, you know, rich by any means, but, you know, they did credit and stuff. My parents, that is. <laughs> and so I applied to and got into this school called um, Interlochen Arts Academy. Um, and oh, it's uh, just funny because I almost went there. Like that's the funniest part. That's to right. Me I forgot about that. Is like I got offers from Interlochen, and I just like my parents wouldn't let me go. But like we almost wound up going to the same school. We would have been ahead of each other, so we would have we still would have never met. But I would have like, seen that your was picture a on the thing. wall somewhere. Yeah, my picture I mean, would have been up on the wall probably. <laughs> you know, obviously the, the, we, trophy, what, for... the trophy case. Oh my God, James Potter. He also played Quidditch. <laughs> <laughs> for for theater, I imagine. Yeah. The, well, the theater department was so heavily funded. I'm sure there would have been a massive something of you somewhere. Um, but anyways, I got into the school, um, and suddenly I wasn't like this pretty good guitarist in high school. Suddenly, I was the worst guitarist at this place where I was surrounded by like actual prodigies, like actual prodigies, um, and people who were very serious about music and had been their whole lives. Um, and so suddenly this joyful thing of music suddenly became, you know, uh, I mean, I don't want to say my job because I wasn't getting paid, but it became, uh, I don't know, it became an opportunity for massive amounts of embarrassment and shame basically if i didn't perform at a consistent at, at a consistent level consistently i would experience massive social embarrassment and then that's terrifying <laughs> um and so it, my relationship to music now became not about i enjoy playing music it became much more about i have to be a certain level of good or else i will experience shame and embarrassment on a level that i like previously didn't know existed um, and so I did, I, I kept up, I think. And so when I left, that's why I quit is because m music was not what it used to be anymore. It was not something that I enjoyed. It wasn't, it was hardly something I enjoyed listening to. Um, because if it was bad, I was mad at the person playing it. And if it was good, I was mad at myself for not being I had that, that good. I, I had that for like three years. Like I refused to go see any Shakespeare 
for years. Really? Like, I just, I just wouldn't do it. I was like, no, it's either going to suck, it's going to be terrible, and I'm going to be mad the whole time, or it's going to be brilliant, and then I'm going to be upset and jealous that, like, I didn't think to put the inflection where they did, and I'm just going to be, like, I had, I had that exact same experience, like, a lot. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's like, I guess, a curse of knowledge kind of thing, or like, you know, I imagine, you know, like uh, uh, directors when watching movies might be like, oh, the, the director of this movie that, you know, clearly their audio cut out and they had to make it work or something like that. Like they notice the behind the scenes thing is going on and can't can't just be in, in the movie, you know. Um, and so I felt that way about all music, like especially like pop music. I, I mean, I was bitter as I was furious at the existence of pop music because <laughs> like how dare this person become so successful like playing three chords like how dare they i was so bitter about that um but it's not useful to be bitter about that kind of stuff and it's not pleasant so i decided to to figure out how i was going to get over it um but when it comes to that like three-year period where you couldn't listen to music and stuff what were you mad at or what not i don't want to put words in your mouth you never said the term mad but what emotions did you feel and were they directed towards anything or anybody I mean, man, that's a hard question. I mean, I think like for me, it's always been like a really specific combination of imposter syndrome and all or nothing thinking mixed with like just a sprinkling of burnt out gifted kid and rejection sensitive dysphoria. Because like, I desperately like i wanted to be a classical pianist like that was the thing that i wanted to be for a very long time but i wasn't good enough like i just wasn't good enough and i think like part of part of the issue for me is like i've always held and i want to be very clear this is unhealthy this is an unhealthy way to think about something but like if i can't be the best if I can't be quantifiably the best, I don't want to do it, period, end stop. And like, it's 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 why I will never run a marathon because I'm not gonna win the marathon. So what is the fucking point? I'm not going to go through all of that work and all of that time to accomplish something. I want to win, I want to be the best. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with with school, with my experience in school of being really academically gifted and being really good at school and placing all of my self-worth and all of my confidence in that, in my ability to easily succeed. And when I cannot easily succeed at something, one of two things happen. I immediately want to quit. I immediately want to give up because like, it's not worth my time. I'm not a prodigy. So why am I even bothering? Or it becomes my absolute obsession. And that's what happened with Shakespeare. And that's what happened with magic. Music went the opposite direction. Like I very quickly realized that I don't, I very quickly realized that even as a kid that I was not good enough to be like a prodigy classical pianist. Like I just wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have it. Um, and now, very interesting, Eric, very fucking interesting. Do you know what uh, dramatically affects your ability to read music? What is that, Katie? Dyscalculia. Oh, really? 
Yeah. So that's interesting. Interesting. For context, dys- dyscalculia is, is basically dyslexia, but with numbers. Yes, that's correct. Um, and so like, I just, I wasn't good enough. Like I just, and, and, and knowing that and feeling that for, for years, like putting in all of it, like I took piano lessons from the time I was five to the time I was, I think 21, I played the piano and I was good. I could play like it was fine, but I wasn't doing like Rachmaninoff, you know? And it's just like, and I don't know if that was a combination of my not being willing and able to practice enough. I don't know if it was just like, I never had the technical skill. Like, I really don't know. I really don't know. I just know that I was never playing the things that I wanted to be able to play, no matter how hard I tried. And so it it became this thing where I just got more and more and more and more and more and more frustrated and angry at myself for not being able to do the thing. So I quit. Um, whereas like with Shakespeare and with magic, I love learning. Like I love learning. I love learning new things. I love talking with people who know things like, well, like, I don't even care what it is. It could be the most uninteresting topic in the entire world. But if you are an expert and you can just keep answering my why and my why and my why and my why, that is like the most exciting thing in the world to me. And Shakespeare did that. Like I was not good at Shakespeare, but Shakespeare was a challenge and it was a puzzle. And it was, it was something that I was like, I am perfectly prepared to spend the rest of my life learning how to be good at this because I'm so mad that I can't get it right on the first try. But the second try I'm better. And the third try I'm better than that. And, you know, like, I don't know, like that was, I don't think I answered your question at all, but there you go. No, that's, that was a lovely answer. I think it makes me think of uh, something that uh, I refer to as the taste gap. Um, I don't, I don't think it's actually like a thing. That's not a term you could Google, but that's what I call it in my head. Um, <laughs> and it, it's a reference to um, something that I believe uh, Ira Glass said. Um, he said, if you get into creative work, a creative thing, I think it applies to more than just creative things too, but he was referring to it specifically as a creative thing. Um, if you get into creative work, it's on some level because you have good taste. Now, I take that to mean not good taste like there is some objective good and objective bad and you have the good one. I mean, you have some version of this thing that you find to be good. You, would, you, you have some un- understanding of what you like about it and therefore pursue it. So you get into creative work because you you know you know what you think is good and you want to be that. So you start doing the thing. And because you know what's good, again, whatever good is to you, you are going to be aware that when you start, you're not very good. You are not that thing that you wanted to be. That's inevitable. That's just part of it. Especially I think with with instrumental music because Everybody can sing. Every, anybody can sing. It's just a matter of how, quote unquote, well they're doing it. We're capable of producing sounds with our mouths. Um, but nobody is born already knowing how to play the piano. Everybody is completely, is completely uh, whatever the opposite of, of fluent going in is. Um, so 
it, it, there's inevitably a period where you are not the good at it, whatever your version of good is. And there's a gap there. There's a period of time where you're doing the thing and you are fiercely aware that you're not whatever you conceive of good to be. You're not good. And you have to get through that until eventually, hopefully, you'll go, oh, that was pretty good. And that's sort of the goal. However, I think as a person who puts particularly has particularly high standards for themselves and as a person who what I consider to be good involves a lot of technical skill, I never got through that gap. Um, and so if you're a person where that good is constantly getting further and further away from you, you're constantly raising the bar for what good is, it becomes much more difficult to cross that gap. Now, Hourglass's uh, advice to those in, in the taste gap, as I, you know, again, as I call it, um, is to create a large volume of work, a large quantity of work. If you're a painter, that means a lot of paintings. If you're a writer, that means a lot of words on paper. If you're a musician, that means a lot of hours of practice, frankly. <laughs> um, and for me, so, so, so for, for one, uh, in my head, getting, getting through that taste gap or at least being or at least looking forward to getting out of that taste gap, but having some understanding of moving through that and getting to a place where you feel that you're actually pretty good um, is essential to maintaining motivation to do anything, knowing that you're getting closer to this understanding of good if you're not there yet. And I mean, that large oh, volume of work that needs to be created such to get through that taste gap is often very fucking hard to do if you have severe executive dysfunction. <laughs> and so yeah. what, wait, wait a minute. I, I spent, you know, a day hyper-focused on it and that wasn't enough to get me through the taste gap. I'm done. <laughs> Screw that. You know, I feel like, attacked. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's exactly what I was going to ask you is like, because what I like the cello is a really good example. I played the cello for like, I think I say three years because it was in my house for three years, but I actually played the cello for like six weeks. Um, and I wasn't instantly yo-yo ma. And I was so, I was just like, because at that point I had been playing piano for 15 years, something like that. And so I was like, well, clearly if I can't be good at the piano, maybe it's the cello. That's the thing that I'm going to be a prodigy at. Um, and, and, you know, and, 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 but the problem was, is by then I had had so much more exposure to like what made talented musicians, what made good musicians that like, I, the bar was already impossibly high because I was going to be yo-yo mar or quit. But then it was like the technical skill and, and everything that already, that I knew it just made it harder. I, I pushed the bar so impossibly high that there was no possible way that I was ever going to actually be able to achieve it. It's the same. It's it's the same thing with um with like singing. Like I took voice lessons for more than a decade. Like and and then like especially like in college and stuff. Um, because I was going to be a musical theater major, but I don't have a belt. I just don't, I'm not, it's just, there's something about the way that my voice falls. Like I'm not a good belter and the way that Broadway and, and 
modern musical theater was going, it was, it's all pop. It's all pop belt stuff. Mm -hmm. And so like, I got told by a number of voice teachers that like, you have a perfectly adequate voice. It's perfectly adequate. You are, you are incredible at like pitch and tone and you can, you can hear music and you understand music your voice is adequate. You will never be anything more than adequate, particularly with the fact that like you don't have a pop voice. Um, and so I am still embarrassed about my voice. Like I'm, I still don't like to sing in front of people. Like I sing my dumb little, you know, three chord ukulele songs because like, I'm, I'm basically ironically performing. Like I know that it's not good. I'm just having fun. But like the difference between like Katie actually singing and Katie like fucking around for the irony of it is dramatic. But because I was told over and over and over that I will never be anything more than adequate, I just I quit. I was like, well, then fine. Then I'm not going to sing anymore. And I didn't sing. I literally physically did not sing for almost six years. Like I would avoid musical calls. I wouldn't audition. I wouldn't I wouldn't sing and there were a couple shows where they cast me and they were like can you sing and I said no I was like oh no I don't I don't sing and like later on it's actually really funny because I worked with a director who asked me if I could sing and I said no um and then I got caught I got caught because I was I was like I don't even remember what I was doing but I was like I was literally just singing around the theater just you know and he was like you fucking liar you said you couldn't you said you couldn't carry a tune and I was like I lied <laughs> I'm sorry I have performing anxiety I, always, I I noticed that when I sing, I sing better when I'm not trying. Like if I sit yeah. down and I'm like, I'm going to sing now. I'm going to give a performance of singing. I find that I'm worse, whatever that means, than when I'm just singing in the shower, which I find amazing. And I think it, I, I think so much of all of this has to do with, um, has to do with ultimately what one's own internal understanding of what is worth trying for like if i'm not the best it's not worth it which but, is like yeah but, and, I, and i think the you know this 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 is i think this is something to what i'm about to say is something to work towards not something that you can snap your fingers and just be um but understanding that sort of counterintuitively enjoyment is the goal enjoying music whether it's playing music or hearing music that's the point that's the capital p point that's the goal in all of it part of that is perhaps reaching a certain standard of of quality what again whatever that means to you um but the point is to enjoy it and so trying to reach a, a place with yourself within yourself where it doesn't have to be absolutely magnificently perfect to be enjoyed, then it's worth doing. And I think a lot of that has to do, well, for example, when, when you just said, you know, your, your ukulele songs, you said that you're aware that it's bad or not good. I don't remember which, which you specifically said. But I do know that a lot of people get a lot out of those ukulele songs that you claim are bad. And so perhaps part of your enjoyment of singing could not be whether or not you enjoy it as like in terms of its quality or, or whatever, but you could enjoy it because you know that it's making other people happy. Now, this isn't something I'm not like saying 
Katie, why don't you just do that? Come on, Katie, why don't you why don't you flip the switch in your brain that makes you allows you to do that? That's a goal to work towards and something to keep in mind. And I'm certainly not saying that that's what I do, but that is what I wish I did. And I think, you know, part of again, like part of living in this world where performing at a certain level, musical level, was a means of avoiding embarrassment, <laughs> and pretty much only that. Um, coming from all of that, frankly, trauma, like I don't want to use the word trauma lightly, but trauma, um, I, I think realizing, having to come to those conclusions about approaching music in in a number, uh, approaching the enjoyment of music in a number of different ways that isn't just how how high would I rank this on the technical skill level, you know, is is... To, is, for me is essential to mending my relationship with music um, I just like I don't know how to do that like I really don't and it's something that I've struggled with for a really long time because like one of my least favorite things about how my neurodivergency shows up is it is it is absolutely just all or nothing thinking all the way down if I can't be the best I don't want to do it if I can't be perfect what's the point like if you know it's not let's yeah i don't i don't know where i was going with that but like i don't i'm gonna say something and it's gonna sound very weird coming out of my mouth but like i don't like performing like hmm. i like the action of performing i like what i get to do while i am performing but I, at the same time, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm playing piano or singing or, or acting or whatever, in the moment, it's great. But the moment I'm done with it is the moment I go, you said that word wrong. You left that word out. Mm -hmm. That was a really bad, like, why would you even do the speech like that? Like, I instantly... I, there's never the moment of like enjoyment for me. There's only the moment of like, it could have been better. It wasn't perfect. What was the point? And like, that's really hard to deal with when you have devoted your entire life to performing. Because a lot of people ask me about stuff like, well, how do you deal with rejection, sensitive dysphoria and auditions? And and it doesn't, it, it like, Rejection sensitive dysphoria never even occurred to me in auditions because like I'm I'm so hard my own critic that like I'm not worried about the rejection that other people face. I'm shocked when I get cast because I just feel like I went in and botched the whole thing, you know, and then I'm like, are you sure? Like the number of times that I've been offered like a great role, like the lead Lady Macbeth, Kate, Beatrice, like I get offered those roles a lot. I have played those roles multiple times and every single time my reaction is, are you sure? Like, is that, are you, did you, did you email the wrong person? Like, are you, are you sure? Um, because I'm just so wholesale convinced that like, I'm not any good and that all of this is a sham and that at some point somebody's going to notice that I have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, it's it's one of the most frustrating things because like it makes no sense and it's like and it's something that i've been trying to unpack for for years but it also took me you know 30 years to get 
there and build those sort of like thought patterns. So it's like real hard to unlearn them in a couple, you know? Yeah. I, I think it, it's, oh man, I think, oh gosh. I, I, when you said thought patterns, it just made my whole brain go, oh, <laughs> and I think, I think it's, 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 it, all right. It's easier to demolish a house than it is to renovate a house. We'll say this is true. Perhaps I'm completely wrong on that. Somebody correct me, but but it's easier to completely and utterly destroy something than it is to destroy parts of it, build up other parts of it, and change it into something else. And I think that's where uh, where I lived in the three. Well, gosh, more than that, probably. Well, I, I don't I don't think my the worst of my my relationship to music ever was. I don't think I had a start and an end date. I'm still very much in it. Um, but the worst it ever was during like the three or four year period when it was just steadily the worst. Um, I was in the, the burn down the house place where like my relationship to music is deathly ill and needs it needs, you know, it just it needs to go away. My, yeah. I need to forget that music exists. And now I'm trying to move more towards a place where I understand it as renovating my understanding of music, as dismantling it and taking it apart and looking at all the individual pieces, finding out what can still be used, finding out what can be, you know, dusted off and, and used, finding out what ideas I had were that were completely toxic and didn't need to be there at all and that I want to throw away, and then finding new ideas that can be put in. And I don't know if I'm doing that particularly well. I don't feel like I'm doing that very well. Um, but I think that's, I think the two of us, both of us, have an intrinsic uh, appreciation for things that are useful in a lot of ways. You know, we're utilitarian, I suppose. And I think because of the way that our brain works, we understand that somewhere in all that gobbledygook, the years of practice, the auditions, the you know fury at ourselves for not performing at the level that we would have liked, somewhere in all that are things that are genuinely useful and be, could be used for great good in our lives and the lives of others. I mean, just uh, an obvious one is like I generally have familiarity with the instrument of a guitar. My fingers know where to go. I can put my fingers in the places. That's nice. I don't have any time to enjoy that because right behind that, as soon as I pick it up, the bright lights and the my posture and and my fingernails and the sensations in my hands, all of those start coming in and all of those are wrong. Those are not what they're supposed to be and I know that. And then I play a note and my tone is garbage, utter garbage. And my guitar isn't, isn't quite perfectly tuned and my strings are three weeks old. And like that stuff I can do away with. I would like to not have that anymore, please. But it, I shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I still have the capacity to create joy for apparently other people when, it, when, when playing music. But does it make and, you happy? No, but it could. I'm convinced, I frankly have faith that it could. Ruby could make me very happy. And I think my, I have a running definition, like being a, 
a, a, a non-believing person, I have a weird relationship with the word faith. So I've gone through many versions of like my definition of the word faith over the years to try to come to terms with it. Um, but one of them <laughs> is um, faith is, is trust when trust isn't necessarily earned or warranted, but when trust is your best option. So, you know, if a plane's going down and somebody stands up and says, I can fly the plane, like, e even though you don't necessarily have any reason to believe that they do, th your best option is just to sort of have faith that they can, sure. And so, perhaps my relationship to music is dead. A lot, there's a lot of, you know, I could go down that road, but I have faith that if I work towards reviving it and renovating that house, that dilapidated, terrible, horrifying house that lives in my head, that there's something good on the other side. Hey everybody, you did it. Congratulations, you made it to the middle of the episode. You should go have a triumphant glass of water to celebrate. Before we take you back to this week's episode, we just wanted to remind you that if you are interested in helping us to be able to continue to have conversations like these in our mission to educate and advocate about neurodivergency, you can do that by visiting patreon.com slash infinite quest. We are so close to hitting our goal of getting 150 Patreon sponsors by the end of April. And with your help, we can achieve that goal and continue to make Infinite Quest free and accessible for anybody who needs it. As always, no pressure and no expectation. If you're not in a place to be able to support Infinite Quest as a Patreon, trust me, we totally get it right now. One of the best ways that you can help support Infinite Quest at absolutely no cost to you is to simply help us get the word out. Share us on your social media. Send an email to that convention that you'd love to see us attend. Go leave us a review on Apple iTunes. All of those things help us out more than you will ever know, and we are so grateful for all of your support. So with that reminder, oh, also buy glasses from zlul.com. Use KDO for 10% off your order. Back to the show. I feel like what we were discovering, Eric, is that like... We've once again produced a spectacular podcast about nothing <laughs> because, well, hear me out because I feel like it's ADHD. It is the pressure of having the experience of being a like high level performer, musician, whatever. It's so much stuff all in one. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just an ADHD thing. It's not just an executive dysfunction thing. Like, there's a lot more to it. But what I want to know is you asked me this question a while ago, and I'm still mad at you for it. So this is my revenge. But, like, if somebody is listening to this podcast going like, oh, my ADHD kid is, like, really into music and I don't want them to, like, burn out or whatever. Like, what do you what do you say like what do you what do you say to the parents who push what do you say to the kids who set too high of you know expectations on themselves what do you say to the teachers who traumatize like what what advice and insight do you have to give to the world about from your experience because i i'm working on my answer because i will answer after you but like I want to know, like, what, like, if anything good comes out of, like, the the bad that we have experienced, what do you, what do you say? 
Um, well, I think I guess I'll start with specifics and probably move to more vague, like, yeah, I don't know, larger ideas. But immediately, um, I would say whether you're the, the parent of a person with ADHD uh, and, and, uh, of, a person, of a kid with ADHD who's interested in music, um, keep it around. Keep it around and accessible easily. Screw – don't use cases. Use, I mean, if you're traveling, use cases. But have, have guitars around on stands ready to play. Have the pianos – out with the thing opened the keep keyboards around whatever musical stuff anything you have that is capable of making making music keep it around don't bury it in drawers because the kid might forget it exists <laughs> if it's in a drawer and you know when i when my relationship to music first started uh, you know playing music first started it was just because it was around it was because there was a guitar next to me or and there was a keyboard plugged in next to me and for four seconds at a time, I could go over and go diddly 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 and then, you know, fuck off to something else. Um, so keep it around. Um, keep it around. Uh, to the person playing the music with ADHD, um, I would say try not to have a rigid understanding of what practice and improvement looks like. Um, for me, I figured if I wasn't, if I wasn't, you know, downstairs in the practice room, when I was at school, if I wasn't downstairs in the practice room with glossy filed nails guitar um, with, and I wasn't doing, you know, 30 minutes polishing my nails, half an hour or, or hour long warm up session, half an hour sight reading, then followed by working on repertoire. If I wasn't doing that, then it wasn't worth even taking the guitar out of the case. And so I, I would avoid practicing because I wasn't going to do that whole fucking process every time. It was excruciating. Again, like ADHD, executive dysfunctions, problems with regulation, like the idea of regulating all those activities was horrifying to me. So don't let other people define what practice and improvement looks like. I, something I wished I would have done back in the day was sit at my desk with watching YouTube videos or whatever, just idly diddling around. Because that's how I learned guitar in the first place. I didn't have practice sessions. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even conceive of practice sessions. That came later when people told me that's what practice looked like. So don't let other people define what practice looks like to you. Um, then on a more, I guess, zoomed out level, um, remember that the point is to enjoy it. Now, oftentimes, it might be beneficial to delay gratification for a larger payoff later. Um, trying to do a thing that seems unnatural for your hands to do. I mean, my, my life was contextualized at, at boarding school, was contextualized by having lessons once a week, and every time my teacher would say, you know, be able to do this by next week. And they would show me something. They would tell me to do something impossible or that I thought was impossible. You know, reaching, you know, from the first fret to the sixth or something like that. Like, that's impossible. I can't do that. And they would say, well, yes, you can. And then they would do it. And their hands were smaller than mine. And I was like, wow. And so I would have to learn the impossible thing. And it sucked a lot of the time, most of the time, like 99% of the time it sucked. 
but being able to do that allowed me to play more stuff. Um, so sometimes the, the, the enjoyment is delayed for whatever reason for a larger payoff later. But the point is to enjoy it. If it ever becomes about those moments when you're doing stuff that you hate, if, if the enjoyment never comes, have, have, have music that you, that you can just pull out and just play that you enjoy, just to remind yourself, like, this is the point. The point is to enjoy it. The point is to create beauty in the world and enrich the human experience. Um, just remember, always have that be the North Star. Um, and I mean, uh, I guess on a more practical level, if you are a classical musician who has to, <laughs> who has to have those epic practice sessions where you have to sit in the room, um, consolidate all everything, have a bag. You don't want to be looking around for stuff. Um, have a bag with all of your stuff in it with your music in it with your your footstool with your nail files and whatnot consolidate all of it mise en place baby all day every day um but yeah i i guess that i'll probably think of more but th that what about you katie what, what do you think what advice would you have um I have no good advice. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a lot of like very practical advice, but it's all, you know, memorize your lines early. Don't wait until the last minute. Break it down into manageable chunks. Learn it backwards. Boring, boring advice. Work backwards. Working backwards is working backwards is one of the. Working backwards is like honestly, like if I'm if I'm being genuine, like one of my one of my best pieces of advice. Like I memorize all my lines backwards. It's so useful. It's so handy. It gives you a place to end. It gives you a place to start. It works super super well mm. for a lot of things. Music, Shakespeare, any sort of like dense verse or like dense prose. Like it, it, memorizing backwards is super super useful. Oh, yeah. But the real thing, and I'm very tired, so I am going to cry is that I think what from from the last like four times we tried to do this podcast, what I have really been thinking about and what I've really been dwelling on is the fact that like I have just never ever felt good enough. Like, I've never felt good enough. And I think that comes from all or nothing thinking. I think that comes some from executive dysfunction of not being able to, like, put in the work to get to where I want to be. Um, I think it comes from just, like I said earlier, like, my experience of being very academically gifted and school coming easy. But the... It's weird how angry... I am about the fact that like I can't sit down and effortlessly play jazz piano because I, I I want to. I've always wanted to learn how to play jazz like piano. I just think that'd be cool. I think that'd be a really cool skill, but I can't do it. I can't just sit down and do it. 
And so every part of my brain goes, well, you weren't immediately a prodigy. So what's the point of trying? You weren't immediately brilliant at it. And to a certain extent, I've been able to overcome that. Like I, I spent 20 years playing the piano. Like I, I can, I don't even think I can anymore. I think if you maybe challenged me to a duel, I might be able to play you amazing grace on the violin or something, but like, I have lost so many of the skills that I once had because I just decided somewhere along the line that because I was not going to be playing Carnegie Hall, that it wasn't worth my time. And then to make it even more fucked, then when I did perform at the Kennedy Center, then when I did make it to Carnegie Hall, I quit because my imposter syndrome told me that because it was easy and because I was good at it, I was an imposter and I was a fake and I was defrauding everybody by pretending like I had any business being there. And so I quit. And and those two things put together is frankly very sad. Like I, do, I don't pretend, like this is not a, a, a worldview that I'm eschewing as a healthy one. Um, but yeah, I quit doing slam poetry because I was good at it. That is that is the whole last story is I was very, very good at it immediately. And I got very, very, I don't want to say famous, but I became pretty well known. And I performed at like what is arguably one of the most prestigious institutions in the entire world. And so I quit. That's weird, Eric. That's weird that I did that. That's a weird fucking thing. And everybody always goes, wait, what? You did slam poetry? You go, oh, yeah, I, I performed for a lot of presidents one day. Like, and it's just like this weird little trivia fact in my life. And it was because like the things that I wanted were hard and the things that I were good at were easy. And there was no justifying them. There was there was no way to find balance. I was either not good enough or too good. And either way, I didn't I, I shouldn't waste my time. And that's dumb. So my advice is don't be like me when you grow up. Hmm. That is a really hard place to be, Katie. I'm sorry. I mean, it's okay. It's not your fault. It's not your fault, Eric. It's not your fault. Uh, don't deflect with a joke. I will continue to do so for as long as you know me. Welcome to the Katie Osiris party. I, I think... Uh, I think those. The... Oh, I ended on a bummer. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. I, uh, I, 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 I'm very much trying to skirt a line where I'm still being honest, but I'm not. I'm not giving more attention to the more cynical parts of my nature. Sure. Um. But I mean, ultimately, I, I think to close a relationship to well your relationship to yourself but your relationship to music and to performance and to art in general is similar to like a, a human relationship in that sometimes you meet somebody and it clicks and it's amazing but no relationship is free from its shortfalls it's it's or its shortcomings it's pitfalls shortcomings and it needs to be worked on and it's not always pleasant but 
I mean, at the end of the day, one thing that I at least aspire to never give up, really. I never, oh God, I never thought, my 14-year-old me never thought I'd eventually be saying something like this, but um, is to have faith that it's worth salvaging and to have faith that it's worth working on, that music and art is an immense source for good in the world and always will be. And whatever your relationship to it is, whether it's performing it and making it or, or consuming it, whatever it is, it's worth maintaining a relationship with music and art because it's the strangest thing, <laughs> but it, for some reason, I mean, it's some of the stuff that makes life worth living. And I'll also never give up faith that life is indeed worth living and enjoying art is part of that for me. And if you think it's part of it for you, I encourage you to strive to continue to enjoy it in whatever form that takes. Yep. <laughs> we have to we have to stop. It's you have to get ready for your interview. Oh, I mean, I've got time, but I was trying to think of like something good to say for a close, but I think I'm just too sad to it's think okay. of a good close. I'm really sad too. It's okay. We can be really uh, sad together. I mean, I think that's why this is such a fucking hard episode. It's like it's because I, like there's no there's no fix. Like there's no there's no like brilliant like and then we magically overcame it to become yeah. wonderfully successful. It's like no, like it's just it's part of our lives all the time. Like yeah. every time I walk by my piano, I feel yeah i feel like i feel sad like like you know it's and it's and it's frustrating like and i know you've talked about it and so i feel like getting back into it like if you you know like i i would love to pick the cello back up because i feel like the cello was something where i was like i wasn't immediately good at it and the and the immaturity and the not understanding my brain like i would love to relearn that or I guess learn from yeah. the beginning at this point, you know, like, yeah, I think that would be really cool, but I haven't done that in years. Like I I've only stuck to the things that I was good at because the feeling of not being good at something like terrified me, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, I really do think perhaps this belongs in the podcast. I'll throw it in there somewhere, but I really do think having ADHD makes I think it, it makes one's relationship to to anything, any goal worth achieving that requires strong executive functions, the delaying of gratification, the regulating of time and attention. It makes those relationships super fucking complicated because mm -hmm. I knew a lot of people who like I knew a shit ton of neurotypical people or I don't I mean, I don't I assume to be neurotypical people Um who could do things like practice when they didn't want to. And it's like, if I didn't want to practice, I could still force myself to go down into the room and do all the stuff. And I did a lot, but my brain wasn't in taking, it, it feels it, different. It feels it different. physically feels different. It's like when you're, it's like when you're reading a page on a book and you realize that you haven't actually been reading it. You've just been like skimming the words it's like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've been practicing this piece, but none of that counted. Like, it didn't actually happen. I just, like, checked out. Like, I think 80... Oh, I have... I... Oh, sorry. No, 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 please. 
No, I was gonna say I actually had like one actual real piece of advice that I could just shoehorn in at the end. Oh yeah, yeah, go for it. It's a uh, it's practice with a goal in mind. That was like one of the best pieces oh, of advice yeah. I ever I ever heard about practice because like it's really easy to get in the mindset, and I've done this. Like, I have to play piano for sixty minutes a day, and like and that will assuredly make me the best pianist of all time. Well, no. Practice for five minutes if your goal is to get this one little passage correct Mm -hmm. like practice until you get it correct like specifically practicing with a goal and or like rehearsing with a goal like i'm Mm -hmm. just gonna get this speech or i'm just gonna get this blocking or whatever like smaller goals like that was one of the first times like and one of the first ways that i learned to overcome my executive dysfunction especially in conversation with like rehearsal and practice and that kind of thing like I realize it's not brilliant advice, but nobody had ever told me that before. I would just like I was always I had always just rehearsed to rehearse. I'd always just practiced to practice. But like once I like let go of the like, okay, I have to play for 60 minutes and then I get my practice sticker for the week or whatever. And I said, I don't need to practice for 60 minutes. I need to practice for 10 because 10 is what will like get me this measure that I'm having trouble with. And then from then, like I can spend another 10, like putting it back into the piece as a whole, but like not turning it into a thing where like, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. Like that really, really helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it it, much like with, you know, cleaning a room or, or any task that isn't, just fun and awesome and that you want to do for the sake of it breaking it down into smaller achievable goals i mean that it, it rather than yeah. just sitting be like i'm going to do a big old epic ass you know practice section session just be like oh i want to get this measure solid yeah like and set it, yeah. set those dopamine checkpoints you know like yeah. you can do that and i think especially in in, in the high level music world people are going to try to set those goals for you and sometimes just you, that's that's just what it is. But you can break those goals down, whether they're ones that you set for yourself or they were set for you, breaking them down into smaller, you know, parts, and then like really just appreciating the, the smaller victories in it. Because ultimately, you know, not getting those dopamine hits because you have to delay the gratification to until I can play this entire piece perfectly, um, breaking it down and, and setting little dopamine checkpoints can really help a lot. And, and also, I mean, specifically, you know, when it comes to practicing, um, I wish, I really wish, I wish I had done this back in the day, but, um, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. (laughs) Really like, you know, cleaning your room, like, you know, the amount of times I don't clean my room because it's like, well, I know I'm not going to do a huge epic cleaning session, so I'm going to, you know, just not do it at all. Well, just pick your clothes up off the floor and throw them into one corner of your room. (laughs) just do that like that counts that counts like it counts and it gives you a little dopamine hit you know and so with practicing you know you don't have to go down at a whole room and do a whole thing just while you're on the computer sit there and doodly do well like one of the see look at look at this we almost made this educational at the very end (laughs) ha ha slid it in under the radar boosh um but one of the best productions that i was ever in was a production of troilus and cressida and i was obviously playing cressida um and 
couldn't I was, get the top billing, huh? I, I couldn't. I'm, so, I'm, never, I'm sorry. I've never. That was no, mean. that's not true. I guess I that's played a joke because it takes no knowledge of that play to actually to make that joke. So that it's, was, it was that's pretty funny. I was gonna say I've never gotten top billing, but I guess I've played Hamlet. So technically, you have top billing in our podcast. I, Katie well, and Eric's Symphony yes, Quest. Yes, because it's alphabetical, Eric. Because <laughs> I'm more important. I I just got really concerned about the order of the alphabet. In that <laughs> I did do it I too. Went, oh shit! Oh shit! Who among us was not just singing the alphabet song um, in their head? Uh, but also they changed the alphabet song. Did you know this? No. It is. Didn't. They did. They changed the alphabet song. Look it up. It's one of the most distressing things to ever happen to me. Okay, I'm gonna have to move past that immediately. Or else they my changed the alphabet explode. song, and it's the worst thing. Um, but. I was, I was, there's, and I'm using this specifically as an example because I think it, it's a, it's a good, like, practical thing, is that I, there's a speech that I was struggling with, and it was, and it, and it wasn't speech, I had the first part of the speech, I had the second part of the speech, there's one line, there's one line that I could not get, but I kept going through the whole speech, I kept going through the whole speech, I kept going through the whole speech, and finally, like, that advice came from somebody that I was working with who was like, stop working on the whole fucking speech you idiot like you know the speech you just don't know that line and so i literally spent 25 minutes drilling that she beloved knows not that knows but this and that i got it you know oh yeah my my one of my uh, small pieces small dopamine checks that's right um one of my uh teachers um he gave me a list of arpeggios so like chords broken into notes do 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 um and uh, it was a you know with guitar like there are books and books of just patterns to play with your fingers, um, and uh, but it, it was just one measure would be one pattern, measure two would be a different pattern, measure three would be a different pattern, and I was playing it straight through the page. So this arpeggio, then this arpeggio, then this arpeggio, then this arpeggio, and I went back the next week and told him that that's what I was doing, and he was like, Eric, when you go to the gym, do you walk? And I was like, ha! But <laughs> when you go to the gym. Would you do one rep on this machine and then one rep on this machine and then one rep on and just keep going around the gym like that? Or would you sit at one machine and do all the stuff and then go to the next one? And so that's how that was like, that's fucking that's a brilliant analogy. And so with music, it was like, do that one arpeggio that the reps, you know, and that one is just a better way to get a pattern under your fingers. But two, it also provided me with those dopamine hits. It was like, take this one pattern. And I would do that for however many, you know, measures. Just do it over and over and over. And then at the end of that, I was like, oh, my God, dude, check it out. I can totally play this arpeggio pattern that I couldn't play, you know, 15 minutes ago or whatever. That's a win. Move on to the next one. You know, like, enjoy that for a little while then move on to the next one. And so it, it like, snuck its way in there, those little achievable little dopamine hits. It was nice. That's really cool. Do you know what my favorite thing about our podcast is, Eric? What's that? It's, It's we've basically become the goddamn Lord of the Rings and how many times we end our podcast before actually ending our podcast. It's, it's, <laughs> it's Gandalf, Gandalf the White We're, coming in through the window. I was thinking of, of Avengers Endgame, a far less highbrow culture reference but 14 endings just all those little endings are like oh that was a really good movie oh we're back in the 40s like oh yeah but now let's talk about cello for some fucking reason that's fine (laughs) but you know why that is Eric why because we have ADHD that is true we do indeed have that that thing we do do. have that well everybody hold on I'm just going to do the close on the podcast It'll be great. Ready? Endgame is highbrow AF, Young Volcano. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to say, I, I was as soon as I came out of my mouth, I was like, how dare I? Endgame is highbrow. 
That movie is a masterpiece. Honestly, honestly, Hi, Katie. To the third ending of the podcast where Eric real... argues with the Twitch chat. I'm not arguing. I'm 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 emphatically agreeing with the Twitch chat. I. Avengers Endgame, Katie, I am absolutely not kidding. I will die Infinite on this Quest hill. Infinite Quest was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Is a level audience. of art Thank you on par with Beethoven's Ninth week. Symphony. We'll see you I mean next it. week on Infinite I Quest. Remember mean to drink it. your water. Remember to drink your meds. Remember to not get your noodles in a knot. And we'll talk to you later. Get see you next week on Infinite Quest. <laughs> everybody that's the end of the episode this week again we just want to say thank you so much for listening uh this was a tough episode for us to record but it was something that we honestly really wanted to do um and actually it was so hard for us to record that we have an entirely different version of this episode uh that we decided not to use and we will be putting that on the patreon as bonus content if you want to check that out Speaking of the Patreon, I realize this is perhaps an oddly timed episode to do this in, but I think it's funny um, that we just spend a long time talking about how we're sad about music uh, and that I'm going to close the episode with a song about our new Patreons. But I am a man of my word and a man of honor, uh, and I promise that if you sign up for the Patreon this month, I would put your name in a song. And so uh, here is the song that I wrote for our new Patreons this week. Um, and I want to be very clear, I'm going to need you all to buckle in uh, because y'all really wanted your name in songs. Um, uh, so here we go. <laughs> and advocate for neurodiversity and other stuff like ADHD. <laughs> so thank you to Liv and Spletlana and also Cody and Ben and Jessica. Don't forget Chelsea and Rich and Krista and Daniel and Rebecca and Joe and also Candace. don't you know, and Aaron stopped well with Alex and Kate and Ryan and Teresa and Aaron and Amy and Papa Mo and tears in my coffee who once also bought me a burrito there's Jake and Kay Kitty and Genetic and Alexandra Lee and Idy maybe it's it I'm not sure but also Rebecca and Sylvie and Nova and Teresa and Lizzie and also Matthew let's not forget Matthew so thank you all of you you helped us build a community around education and advocacy about so goddamn fucking grateful i'm not crying you're crying shut up it's fine thank you so much and also if you sign up for the month of april i will write you another song it'll happen
have the same chords. I'm not gonna learn new chords, let's not go overboard. So thank you all so much. I'm sorry I deflected with the joke.